I invite you to stand now as we read the Word of God. It's from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away to the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he, Jesus, answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This is the word of the Lord. The most tired I have ever been in my life uh, was is the, the summer between uh, my freshman and sophomore year of college. I uh, had this amazing opportunity to study abroad uh, for a summer in Spain. Following that time of studying abroad, I uh, met up with a couple of my high school buddies uh, in Spain, and we spent around three weeks just backpacking around Europe. We uh, would, we, didn't have, you know, we didn't have cars, we just had our backpacks. Uh, we've got your rail passes, so we just traveled on rail lines to all these cities and towns and beautiful places and some tourist traps, you know, like all the adventures. And I'm incredibly grateful I had the opportunity to do it. It was the time of my life. Um, you know, the 19-year-old guys, the, the, the hostels that we stay in, some were better than others. Some had better accommodations for showering than others. Uh, so, and, and we also, like, we were on foot, so, and sometimes the train station would be really far away from the hostel, like many, many miles from where we were, so we were walking a ton. we just walk around the towns where we were. Um, so our, our bathing, our laundry situation, situations were dicey. The, the, like, towards the very end of the trip, we were just, like, getting so exhausted. We were, a shot, sign that we were exhausted was we were just spending time uh, sitting for hours in parks, just resting towards the end of our trip. Uh, when we were in uh, Slovenia and Croatia. And uh, one of the last important legs of the trip was we, had, we took a night train from Zagreb, Croatia, into Venice, Italy, okay? So night trains, you probably think of them as, you know, you, you, maybe you've seen them in the movies, you get in on this train and there's like uh, little carriage cars that have bunks. Some night trains are like that. I took a night train that was like that. This night train, was basically like being on SEPTA, like being on the Market Frankfurt line uh, for the entirety of the night, like from 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. Like there are people literally sprawled out in the aisles trying to sleep. And um, thankfully, my buddies and I, we, we were able to secure a 
seats, uh, but there's a guy sitting right next to us who, for some reason, these people always fall asleep first. He was the loudest snorer I've heard in my entire life. Um, and needless to say, we didn't get a, a wink of sleep. And this is coming after weeks of just exhaustion and uh, not being, you know, just, we we're just totally, totally exhausted when we arrived in Venice. Um, it's a bit of, that's a bit of a picture of the, the, the exhaustion that the disciples may have been feeling at the beginning of this passage, okay? So, in what's going on before this, this famous feeding of the 5,000, now if you remember from, uh, from John, John preached on this previously, is Jesus sent out his disciples in groups of two to go out and minister in towns and in the countryside. And uh, the Gospel of Mark is usually pretty rough on the disciples. Uh, it make, they're, they're kind of bumbling idiots a lot of the time. Uh, but to their credit, they do, um, they do amazing works in the, in, in the name of Jesus. Jesus gives them his authority. And they, they drive out uh, um, unclean spirits. Uh, they heal the sick. Uh, so they've also been, they also presumably were rejected in places because Jesus prepares them to be rejected. All these things you can imagine, like hoofing around the countryside, like they would have been totally exhausted. That was like verse one in this passage. The apostles returned to Jesus. So they just come back from that and told him all that they had done and taught. And Jesus sees their, you know, he's, Jesus responds, come away by yourselves into a desolate place and rest a while. So Jesus recognizes that they're tired, okay? And they, I mean, it, it's, they're so tired, like it, the passage says that they didn't have, they had no leisure even to do something as leisurely as eat. No leisure even to eat. And that's like the foundation for what's going on in this passage. And if you understand where the disciples are coming from, it makes it easier to relate with them and some of their responses to Jesus in this passage, right? So they're trying to retreat to a desolate place. You know, they're trying to practice some self-care here. And, uh, and Jesus told them that we should, we should go back and rest a while. But the, these crowds start coming from all the surrounding towns. And Jesus has compassion on them and starts teaching them. And the pastor doesn't say what Jesus teaches for. It was probably a long time of teaching in the midst of the, the disciples being exhausted. The sun's going down. Dusk is coming. It's springtime. Uh, the, 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 the pastor tells us that the, the grass is green, which means it's springtime. There's not like, which is a time that's before harvest. It's, not, it's a ways off from harvest. There's not food all over the place. And... They, the disciples have a, a, it's a pretty common sense idea. They're like, hey, uh, we're really tired. Uh, there's a lot of people here. It's almost nightfall. It'd probably be good for these people if we sent them away to go to, go to nearby countryside to find a place to eat, maybe even a place to sleep. Very reasonable suggestion from some tired people who've been doing good God's work for a long time. And Jesus has this kind of curt response. They, so they command him and he responds with a command towards them. And he says, you give them something to eat. And you can almost hear a bit of their frustration in their response, where they're like, what do you expect us to do? Like, go spend 200 denarii and buy these people food? Uh, 200 denarii would have been, it would have been uh, like a two-thirds of a, a year's wages for a laborer. So it's like, maybe like, think about like 20, 25,000 bucks. It's like, what, you want us to just go spend $25,000? to provide food for these people? It's a bit nuts. And then Jesus proceeds to do this miracle. And uh, this miracle is, 
is, uh, is one, it's the only miracle that's, that's given an account across all four of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which means the gospel authors saw something really important in what happened here. And what's interesting is they don't actually, they talk about Jesus' teaching in lots of places. They don't talk about his teaching here. Uh, they talk about, they draw attention towards his mess, towards the miracle and what happened. And I'm, and I, I, I'm going to give a bit of a pattern for why I think they see it as being so important by really drawing my attention on the miracle itself, what what happens? We don't we don't get like the the total mechanics of the miracle, how the the you know what made the magic happen, uh, but we do see what Jesus does right before uh, this miracle occurs. And I'm going to talk uh, about and look at that and talk about how Jesus feeds Jesus feeds us, and then I'm going to spend a lot less time and conclude by talking about how Jesus leads, how he feeds us, the pattern for how he feeds us, and how he leads us. So. How does Jesus feed us? Uh, this, this part of the sermon, I am just uh, completely ripping off of a, a sermon of John Alexander's from a, a few years ago, which if you remember a sermon after a few years, it's probably a sign that it was really good and needs to be repeated. Um, there are times where I've accidentally preached the same sermon as John. Uh, one time I preached on Acts 3 and my two main points uh, were word and wonder. And he talked to me the next week and he was like, uh, I preached on that passage a few years ago, and my two points were message and miracle. Um, <laughs> so it's a, it's a wonderful thing that I'm really proud and really thankful for, that sometimes when I'm on autopilot, I preach like John Alexander. Um, and, uh, but this is an instance of not being on autopilot, but very specifically wanting to follow some of the things that I learned from him years ago as he preached on this passage. So how does Jesus feed, feed us? I want to point out four different things about how Jesus feeds us, this pattern. And this pattern, I think, is, is incredibly applicable to so many things in our lives. Okay? So the first thing is that there's, number one, is there's scarcity. There's not enough. There's five loaves and two fish. There's little. They're exhausted. I've covered that at length already. That's the first step in how Jesus feeds us. I invite you to think of a place in your life, it could be a physical thing, like lack of resources, lack of uh, money, employment concerns, or it could be something other than that. Where are you tired? Where are you looking at your life and saying, I've just got a few loaves here and thousands of people to feed? Marriage that's struggling, even no matter how hard you try, things just stay tough, 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 get worse. Uh, friendship that's on the rocks. Um, something in, in, your, in your faith where it's just, no matter how hard you keep pushing against it, how hard you try to be faithful, you just find yourself more exhausted and it being harder. Where are you tired? Where are you encountering this scarcity, this lack? The second thing is with the scarcity, with these loaves, Jesus blesses them. He takes the bread in hand and looks up to heaven and blesses it. A blessing is, is, a, is a really thick, a meaty concept in scripture. Um, it's blessing is it's, it's taking, it's taking hold of something. It's, it really fits well with like hand metaphors. It's grasping something, it's taking hold of something and offering it up to God for his purposes as thanksgiving. Uh, it, an example I thought of blessing in my own life is every night before my sons, I have two sons, they're both under the age of three, 
Uh, every night before they go to sleep, I, I lay my hands on them and I, I say a blessing on them, uh, a blessing from the Old Testament. Uh, the Lord bless you and keep you. If you've heard that blessing before. A lot happens in like that, those, that like 30 seconds that I'm saying that blessing. Uh, and I've noticed it's, it's a really profound time of day for me and like my rhythms. It's what happens in the blessing. And this is, I think these are some of the things that happen in blessing more generally in scripture and ways we're called to bless. One thing is that when I, when I put my hands on, my, on my, my son's, the side of his head, is I pay attention to him. It's the time of the day where I feel the most urgency to make eye contact with my son. Um, it's a recognition of the reality of what's going on. It's, it's also, by the way, in my example, sometimes that reality is that he's crying and he's trying to yank his head away and he wants to do anything but make eye contact with me. Or I'm angry for some dumb reason and I'm fed up with whatever he's doing because I don't have space for it. It's a recognition. It's a pausing to recognize the reality of things. Another part of blessing is thanksgiving. And this one I, I really feel in my gut when I bless my, my kids at night. Is it's, in, a, in a way, it's, in a, in a sense, I, I, these, boy, this, these boys are mine. Uh, but in a far greater sense, they're not. And they belong ultimately to God. And it's me just looking at them and giving thanks for the gift of them and offering that up to God and reminding myself and turning towards God with my son to, to say, God loves this boy more than I do. And here's another thing about blessing. And this part is key in understanding this story and understanding our vocation, our call as Christians in the world. Blessing is a plea for spiritual power. Okay, It's a plea for healing, for God's presence to come, for protection, for new life. It's it's not just a, a horizontal, just me and you being buddy-buddy. It's calling, it's looking, Jesus looks up to heaven, which would have been an unusual thing for someone praying to do, but something that early Christians did a lot. It's a looking up to heaven, and like understanding that we have a relationship with a Father who is powerful and can do things on earth. Um, and also implied in this is it's not magic. It's actually rec- recognizing that we are not powerful, and we need God to, God's presence to be made known, to be here. Um, so consider all that, that blessing, consider all that with the prompt I gave you a minute ago, the place where you're tired, the place where you're worn out at the end of yourself. Um, what would it look like for you to grasp a hold of that and bless it, to make eye contact with it? The next thing Jesus does is after blessing the loaves, he breaks them. And... What are some other words for breaking? He dismembers them. Jesus, he surrenders them. He distributes them. There's something about the breaking act that's something of a a destruction, a death. Um, Jesus, in the the, the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life. um, Who's come down to to feed the world. Certainly part of the reason why he says that is because you know, it's, it's associated with this miracle is Jesus' own body is broken for us so that we could be drawn near to him so that our sins could be forgiven. The breaking is, is certainly a foreshadowing of his body being broken for our sake. So we've, we've got scarcity, blessing, 
breaking. Again, consider the thing that I, I put in front of you. What would it look like after upon blessing, laying your hands upon this thing, to break it? And I know this is kind of abstract. This isn't super practical. I'll give a practical example here in a minute. What would it look like to surrender, to give it up to God, um, to lay your life down, to dismember it? Um, and the last one is the miracle itself. God multiplies after the breaking. And the, 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 the scarce amount, the loaves and the fish, they're multiplied and they feed so much that there are 12 baskets left over. Uh, so I started off with talking about the time I was the most tired in my life. Uh, the time that I w- was the most surprised by hospitality in my life uh, was immediately after I was the most tired in my life. Um, I, we were going to Venice because one of my buddies had extended family outside of Venice uh, who he kept in contact with. They were, um, they, they, and that his extended family came, picked us up, took us to their home. Most of them spoke Italian, uh, so we could, what, communicating with them was challenging. Uh, but they, they took us in and they like rec- very much were like recognizing the situation. Like I recall like some slightly disgusted faces at like these smelly, worn down 19 year old guys. And they basically sent us to our room to go nap. And they took all of our filthy laundry and washed it for us and folded it for us. Uh, we woke up from the nap and we went up. It was like late, it was like mid afternoon. And they just started, I'd never in my life, it's just like food, 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 more food. And like by the end of we were eating like this fine, like cut ham from a pig that they had butchered themselves. Like it was, it was just, it was bananas. It was it was the most hospitality I've experienced in my life. Um, and, and the point I want to just draw your attention to is just the surprise, the, the shock and the awe uh, that came on the other side of just being so exhausted, which it's a bit of a, it's, it's a very, very, very slim shadow of a picture of Jesus' miracle here, feeding these 5,000, uh, of the, the wonder, the awe. And an even slimmer, more shadowy picture of what he does for us by his death, and particularly by his resurrection from the dead. Um, on the other side of breaking is waiting and watching. And in God's timing, we behold the wonder of new life according to his plan. Um, now, with the thing that you thought of, I do not want you to walk out of here thinking you're going to get like Italian hospitality kind of new life with the thing you have thought of as you leave the doors today. Um, that may not be what happens. However, I can say with confidence that in the fullness of time, with Jesus' return, every single thing that you offer up to him and that you surrender to him, it will be so unimaginably worth it. That's what I can promise you. And I think... I think you may encounter some of those blessings bit by bit along the way. There may be some of the wonder as you surrender, as you break whatever it is in this life. Like a seed planted in the ground. It's surrendering, it's a dying. A seed is planted, it's buried, but then it springs forth new life. This is the pattern of, this is the pattern of so many things. This is the pattern of how Jesus feeds us this process. Scarcity, then bless, then break, then God multiplies. This is the pattern of how God feeds us, physically and spiritually, by the way. Those two categories can't be kept too far apart. 
Uh, uh, what's an example of this? To really try to bring this down, down to earth for, for us all. Uh, a really practical example for this, this is why we, we uh, Christians for a long time have prayed before they eat meals, is, is, is an example of this. Let me, let me walk you through that. So first off, whenever you sit down for a meal, you have food in front of you, and you only have so much food. Uh, and I, I think probably most people in this room, myself included, scarcity is not something we encounter on a day-to-day basis at our, meal, at our meal time. Maybe that is you, though. Uh, that could be your story, what's going on in your life. But it is like a, it is a limited, finite thing that is placed in front of us. Next, blessing. We pray for it. We pray for the food. When I, I, uh, as I grew up, like out of childhood, I, uh, I grew up in a, a home. My parents were, were both um, Christians, and we would, we would pray for the food. And I always thought that was, by the time I was growing up, I was like, what, we pray for the food? What, are we going to baptize the potatoes? Like, why do we need to pray for the food? And it actually makes some sense in terms of the blessing that I just talked about. You pay, we, we look at the food in front of us and we pay attention. Uh, we pay attention to the people around us. We give thanks. We, we look like, even though we've done work to secure this food that's in front of us, ultimately all gifts are from God and is offering this food up in thanksgiving. And it's also praying that from eating this food that he would sustain us, provide for us, that he'd bring new life. It's a blessing. And then we break it, which is we eat it, which is an act of destruction in a way. Uh, we, we share it. We give it away. We, we give it to our toddlers who do everything with it but eat it. Um, we give it away. And then lastly, we watch and we wait for what God does. And on a really practical level, he sustains our bodies, which is, a one, which is a, a absolutely amazing thing. But then beyond that, uh, I don't know if you've experienced this with meals, but meals are a lot more than just like pure material, physical nourishment. And I don't know if you've ever seen this around meals, but oftentimes when people sit down and eat together, the souls are knit together. People come together like guards are let down. Experiences are had that... Like, at meal, like somehow in meals, God's presence, his peace is made, is revealed, made known to us. And it's just a proof, I think, of God bringing new surprising life um, on the other side of us blessing and breaking. That's mealtime. Now this pattern, scarcity, bless, break, watch God multiply. You can apply this pattern to many, many, many things in your life. Your money. For those of you, maybe if you're, you're here and you're a, you, you give already, you're a faithful giver, it's like, what would it look like for you to bless the money you're giving? Which is weird to do in a digital age. But pray for the, the funds that you're giving to the church or to whatever you're giving to. And say, lay, bef- like, um, and, uh, lay before God and ask him to bring new life through it, with it. What would happen if we did that? An obvious one is, is your time. Is what if you viewed the day of Sunday like something for this pattern? If you, on Saturday night or Sunday morning, you offered up this day of the week as a time for God's presence to be made known, for him to encounter you, when break it, distribute that time and ask, ask him what you're supposed to do with it and to encounter him and love your neighbors. This pattern can be applied to your, your body and sexuality. It can be applied to your reputation, your intellect, your knowledge, your friendships, your own home. This is how Jesus feeds us is that process. Next off, I want to talk just, and this is where, closer to where I'll end, I want to talk about how Jesus leads, how Jesus leads us. Um, so Jesus is a, he's a king in this passage. It's a bit between the lines. So 
as Jesus sees the crowds, the text tells us he has compassion on, on them. He saw them as like they were, they were like sheep without a shepherd. Shepherd is a flag word. Shepherds um, previously in the Bible were always kings. Or shepherds were kings. Kings were shepherds is a better way to say it. Uh, the, 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 archetype, the, the big king in the Old Testament, David, was a, was a shepherd. Uh, Moses, who was a king-like leader, he was a shepherd. And then Jesus starts doing these king-like things. Okay? He, he organizes people in groups of hundreds and fifties, which is, sounds almost like military organization. He, his followers, uh, Barca commanded him, like, send them to back, back to the countryside. And Jesus, is, Jesus, as a king, is like, he responds to a command with a veto command, which is like, no, you give them something to eat. He's a, Jesus is the one in charge here. And at the same time, he's the, the weak one who seems, he's the king who has everything, who multiplies his bread. But upon first glance, he's the king who has nothing. Um, this is the kind of king Jesus is. And for those of you who are here today and um, maybe you don't believe, maybe you're investigating Christianity, figuring out what you think, you're, you're wrestling with, with doubts, you have questions, we're really glad that you're here. I want to ask you what it, I want to invite you to turn to this king. Um, there are lots of options out there. Places where you can turn, masters you can have. There are, um, and think about the thing with where you're hungry, where you're exhausted, where you're limited. Where, to whom do you turn? To what do you turn? There are lots of options. There's gods you can serve. There are lifestyles you can live. There are philosophies, ideologies, communities you can be a part of. Not all these things are to be thrown in the garbage bin. There are a lot of good things happening in these places. These other options may make you feel better. Even according to the standards of our age, they may be more therapeutic. But this king, this Jesus, he's the best option. Why is he the best option? Jesus is the only king who is absolutely strong, okay? He will command you like he does to the disciples in this passage. He will call you to obey him. He, he will one day com com conquer death completely. He is absolutely strong. But Jesus is also absolutely weak. Um, he invites the weakest the smallest. If you're here today and you're like, I don't even know how I made it through these front doors. I don't know, what am I even doing here in a church? I've just got this little thing, like little bit of faith and curiosity. Jesus invites the weakest to himself. He came and walked as one of the weakest on earth. He calls those to himself. And an example of just his, his weakness and how he's accessible is uh, something that we've seen over and over again in the Gospel of John. This is where I'm going to end, end, end for sure is uh, Jesus, he, there are all these stories of him allowing himself to be interrupted. Uh, and that happens in this story. Like, they had important things to do. Resting's important. They had to go rest in a desolate place. And Jesus allows himself to be interrupted by the crowds. He has compassion on them. So I invite you today to turn to the, the only king who is absolutely strong, but is, who is also so weak um, and interested that he allows you to interrupt him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, 
and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.